Okay, I, I want to begin this morning with uh, a suggestion, the following suggestion. I want to suggest to you that through this difficult time that our gracious God is at work. I want to suggest to you that through this pandemic, indeed, God is extending to us as Christians the most amazing opportunity. An opportunity. See, I'm sure you would agree with me with this, would you? That in recent times, the Christian church, we have struggled to meaningfully engage with society in the Western world. Is that not a fair thing to say? I mean, you know as well as I do, like society has changed so quickly, so rapidly in recent times, hasn't it? You know, ideas of marriage and family jettisoned, ideas about gender even seem to be following suit. And where has that left us? That's left the Christian church not just kind of struggling to keep up with all of these changes, but it's left us struggling to meaningfully minister the word, minister the gospel to the modern world. Well, into that situation, do we not see what God is doing? Like with this pandemic, isn't it as though God has pressed pause for us? Isn't it as though God has frozen the screen, right? As our country grinds to a halt, you and I are given this chance just now, just yet, like to process all of these societal changes. But it's more than that. You and I just now in this pandemic, we're given the opportunity to equip ourselves for what lies ahead. The opportunity right now in this lockdown to think through, pray through how we can better minister the good news of salvation into a most needy world. But in light of this, what I want us to do this morning is to begin a new sermon series in the first epistle of Peter. A new sermon series in the book of First Peter. Why? <laughs> let, me, let me give you a couple of reasons. First is this. Christian friends, the book of First Peter will help you today. You need to understand that this book that we're going to look at, it has so much to say about the Christian and suffering. This is a, a, a section of God's word that truly will help us in the midst of of this pandemic. That's the first reason. It'll help us for today. The second reason to study First Peter is that Christian Friend is a book that will help us for tomorrow. Do you hear me? Not just a book for today, but a book for to tomorrow. You must understand that First Peter is also a book that has much to say about how Christians can meaningfully engage, how must meaningfully engage with our world and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look together at First Peter. What does that mean? Well, it means that we really ought to read some of First Peter. So, uh, if you've got your Bible there, can I ask you to turn to First uh, uh, Peter chapter one? And we're really just going to focus today on the first two verses, First Peter one verses one and two. And uh, I will read these to you. The words I do hope should appear on the screen just now. This is the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied 
to you. Okay, so the the plan uh, this morning is really to break the sermon into half, if you like. We're going to have uh, we're going to have two parts or two headings to this sermon. So let me just go ahead and give you the first. Let's consider first of all our relationship with our world. Our relationship with our world. Okay, fine, right. Uh, what are we what are we going to do? Where do where do we start with all of this? Well. I suppose, right, one obvious place for us to begin would be with the authorship of this book, right? If we are going to understand this letter at all, we really need to think about who wrote it. But maybe you say back to me, would you, that it's kind of straightforward, isn't it? After all, look at the first word of this letter. What is it? Is the name Peter. Doesn't that, you say to me, right, doesn't that clear it up? Well, fine, yeah, maybe, right, okay. But what we really should know is this, that much of modern day scholarship tries to cast a doubt on the fact that Peter wrote this letter. See, we need to appreciate that First uh, Peter's written a very high level, high fluting Greek. And so because of that, scholars say, well, Peter can't have written this. He can't, be, after all, A... Doesn't Acts chapter 4 say that Peter was an unschooled, sort of ill-educated chap? And then B, scholars will say that Greek wasn't widely spoken in Palestine in the time that Peter was alive. Now, I don't want us to spend all that much time on the sort of authorship question. I do just want to combat those, those ideas. You see, hear me on this. Recent archaeological discovery has unearthed this. It's unearthed the fact that Actually, Greek was more widely known in first century Palestine than had previously been thought. So there's there's discovery of public signs in Jerusalem. And these public signs weren't just written in Greek along with other languages. These public signs were, listen to this, they were written only in Greek. Public signs written, what does that tell you? It tells me that the ordinary person in Palestine... They knew Greek. Okay, so you've got that. And then, hang on a second, see that? That verse in Acts chapter 4, the critics love to use to say that Peter was a numpty, you know, Peter was a dunce. Well, what does it actually say? Do you know it? Do you remember it? That verse speaks of the utter astonishment the Jews had towards Peter. They were amazed that this supposedly unschooled and ill-educated guy was able to speak and teach with such learning and such confidence, right? So where does that leave us? What conclusion do we have to draw? Kel surprise, we are brought to a point where we find out that the author of First Peter is none other than Peter, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got the authorship question. Peter is the one who's writing this letter. Okay, Gonna chuck this back at you. What else do we need though? Come on, if we've we got who's writing the letter, we need to know, we need to at least think about the recipients of this letter as well. Here I think I'll, I'll surprise you as well, uh, friend, because if you know me well, you know that I am allergic to two things that I know of in this life. Okay, I'm allergic to two things. So, the first thing I'm allergic to is a weird antibiotic. It's quite a sort of rare antibiotic. But if I take that as I have in the past, it makes me violently ill. Okay, so I'm allergic to 
an antibiotic. I am allergic to something else in this life. I am also allergic to the use of PowerPoint presentations in sermons. <laughs> they are so cheesy. They also tend to make me violently ill. But we live in strange times, don't we? And if you look at the text here, you will see that we are faced with five kind of weird place names, aren't we? Do you see them? Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So, at the risk of making me dog sick, maybe a picture will help us with this. So, hopefully it goes up in front of you there. Do you see it? Now, what do you see when you look at it? You see uh, that Peter's writing to Christians in what? In five provinces in Asia Minor. It's like modern-day Turkey. It's a massive area, hundreds of thousands of people. And look at this. What seems to have been the case, judging by the order that these names appear in Scripture, what seems to be the case is that perhaps the courier who is tasked with delivering this letter is actually following the circular route do you see? Like he starts off in Pontus, works all the way right round to Bithynia. Do you see it? Now, great, all of that's fine. That's, you know, hunky-dory, that's brilliant. But surely what is more interesting is how, how Peter describes these Christians. Look at the text. What does he call them? He's writing to exiles of the dispersion. He said, now, if you know the Old Testament reasonably well... What you think, what do you know? You know that that phrase, exiles of the disper- that is, 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 is almost used kind of technical, technical term in the Old Testament, isn't it? To describe the Jews who were taken into captivity, isn't it? You know the story, right? The Jews were conquered, captured, they were carried away, weren't they, from their land, taken away into Babylon. They were exiles of the dispersion. And, and, and so what are you asking? Do you know what I'm asking? I'm asking, like, Peter, why are you using that term, almost technical term for Jews in the Old Testament, to speak of these Christians, not exiles of the dispersion? Like, why, why are you using them here to describe these believers in Asia Minor? Well, to answer that, I just want to briefly speak to you about the, the, the great fire of Rome. I'm guessing that you've heard of this before, have you? The great fire... Uh, of Rome, we know about it, uh, AD 64, this, just this fire, you know, rips through uh, the heart of the, the centre of the empire, rips through Rome. Now, if you do know your history, if you know that, there's a couple of things I reckon you do know about the Great Fire of Rome, right? First is this, you know that most likely it was actually the Emperor Nero who, who started that fire. We know that, don't we? The second thing that we know is that in order to deflect suspicion away from himself, what does Nero do? Nero blames the Christians for starting the fire. Something that leads to the most prolonged and just horrendous persecution of the Christian church. Now, 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 wait, comes together here. Although... Peter is writing here before that time of, of state-sponsored persecution. So he's writing just a couple of years before the Great Fire. This is what you need to understand. These Christians, right at this point that Peter's writing to, they are still being harassed. Do you understand? This state-sponsored persecution is on the horizon. There is local opposition here. These Christians are being marginalised. They're being excluded. Words like suffering, words like 
trial, they litter this letter. And so now you get it, right? You see why Peter's speaking to them. Like, why does he call them exiles of the dispersion? Do you see he's showing them how to cope, how to respond to opposition? Peter's shown them the suffering Christians. They're not to assimilate with the values of a hostile world. They're not to accommodate to the values of a hostile culture. No suffering Christians. They are to live like aliens in a foreign land. Suffering Christians are to embrace not the values of this world, but to embrace and hold to, cling to the values of their heavenly citizenship, their true spiritual home. And maybe now it all comes together. Maybe now you see sitting in your home why we have to study First Peter. Do you know the name John Piper? John Piper says this. He says that First Peter is an astonishingly relevant book for our present time. And I reckon, Christian friends, you can see that really clearly, can you not? As Christians living in the UK today, we can feel genuinely marginalised. We can really experience social ex- we can ex- social exclusion. We can fear things getting worse. And what does God give us in his grace? He gives us a letter that helps us to deal with that, helps us to prepare for that. I want to say this to you. Hear it. Friends, in the midst of COVID-19, First Peter is a book that will encourage you and here, even here, it, even better, it is a book that will equip us to live. And live not just like Demas, who love too much this world. This is a book that will help us to live like Daniel. It will help us to live like exiles in a very strange land. And to help us to live for the glory of God. So we see, don't we, our relationship to our world. Second of all, uh, I want us to think here about our relationship with our God. You got it? That's the second point. Our relationship with our God. Now here, um, Peter, as we've said, is, is concerned to equip us to live well in times of suffering for the glory of God. But he knows that the matter that most affects our living is you and I having a deep and proper understanding of God and what God has done for us as his people. So what does Peter have to say? Well, maybe you think, actually, do you, that um, I've kind of been cheating a little bit? Do, do you think like that? After all, there is this kind of prominent idea, this prominent word in this section of scripture that I kind of left well alone and haven't mentioned at all up until now. Maybe... You're thinking I'm cheating, but what is that idea? Well, you'll notice in verse 1, I'm sure, that Peter doesn't just describe Christians as exiles, does he? What does he say? He actually describes us as, says that these people are the elect exiles, the elect exiles of the dispersion, okay? Now, (coughs) excuse me, before we dive right into that, I suppose... The matter, the first matter that we need to acknowledge is how different our attitude is to this topic than Peter's attitude. Do you see what I mean? If not, just let me ask you this. See, if I was to talk to you about divine election or predestination, what do you think? Divine election. Would you agree with me on this? That in our homes, in our churches, 
we've tended to leave that topic well alone, right? Election, you know, like we kind of think of this as like too confusing, or maybe we think that there's no answers to the idea of election, too confusing, or maybe we think, and I think we do a lot of the time, it's too off-putting to the unbeliever, isn't it? Election. So well, let's just leave it alone. Let's just try and ignore the predestination or divine election. Well, isn't it incredibly interesting to see how different Peter's attitude is? Because you see what he does here? Peter actually leads with this topic, this idea. Peter knows that, that us having a proper view of God, understanding God is essential for us to live better for him. And so what does he do? He actually doesn't ignore election. He brings it front and center. It reads like this in the Greek. Peter, apostle Jesus Christ, elect, elect, to elect. He leads with it. Now, if you are on the ball, you'll notice in verse 2, in what is a really deeply Trinitarian verse, you'll notice that Peter makes three statements that help explain election for us. The, the, the statements that modify, unpack the idea of election. So I just want to briefly mention those. Hopefully the first phrase will appear on your screen just now. Do you see it there? So Christians are what? They are to, they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God the, we are elect according to foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, if you're with me here, if you know, if we know anything about the foreknowledge of God, we know that it is a deeply controversial a topic, isn't it? We're on controversial ground for knowledge. So I think to deal with this, what I want to do is to bring it back to you as you sit there in your home, and I want to ask you to think through what, what, what do you think it means? God having foreknowledge. What, what's God's foreknowledge about? What would you say? Would you say it's the idea of God knowing in advance events that are going to happen in our world? God's foreknowledge, is it about his knowledge of details? Is it, is it more than that? Do you think it's about God knowing in advance how we are going to live, how we're going to respond to the gospel, and so therefore he chooses us for himself? Do you think these are, is that what foreknowledge is about? God, hear me. Like, that's not, that's not God's foreknowledge. Listen to me, very often in scripture, when God is said to have foreknowledge of a person or to know a person, do you know what's in view? It's not just that he knows details about us, it's that God chooses that person in advance from before the creation of the world and chooses them out of love. Do you hear that? God's knowledge, it's not just about details and events, God knows, God knows a person it means he's choosing that person for himself right i'll give you some examples what about genesis 18 god has said to know abraham but what it's talking about there is god choosing abraham to, to to belong to god or i love this one this is amos chapter 3 and the idea is that god is choosing israel from all the nations of the world he's choosing israel he's chosen israel and do you know what it says amos 3 says Israel was known by God, known from amongst 
all the families of the world. You see God's foreknowledge choosing. Now, if you're sticking with me, and if you see that, that actually God's foreknowledge of us is God having chosen Christians from before time out of love. Do you not see, actually, how that should affect how you and I live for God in the now, right now, today in this pandemic? If not, let me illustrate it by way of a story. The boys and girls who are listening, they can tune in morning, pay attention right now, okay? You might like this story, boys and girls. <coughs> Excuse me. When I was a, a kid, just a little boy, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, here's the truth. I used to go to the park, the local park around the corner from my house, and I used to go nearly every single day to play football, okay? Just every day. My brother and I finish school, head to the park. Sounds ideal. Dillick, doesn't it? Especially today. Uh, but it was anything but, because here's the deal. There were bad boys at the park. That's what my brother and I used to call them. Such judgmental little children. They were the bad boys. So these were uh, boys who were maybe, I don't know, they were maybe only like a year or two older than us. Okay, but sometimes they used to be really nasty to us and they used to bully us, so they were the bad boys. Now, here's the deal, right? When the bad boys were there at the park and they watched play football with us, invariably, I used to play terribly, (laughs) you know? The bad boys were there. You can imagine, you can see why, right? I was so distracted thinking, are they going to be nasty to us? Are they going to bully us? I never used to concentrate on playing football at all. I was always just worried about them. So I would play just, you know, I was awful, just stinking at football. And then one day, do you know what happened? Brilliant, always stick in my mind. Playing football with the, the bad boys. And I look up, you know who I see? My dad. So my dad had just come around from the house to the park just to check up on us. And he was standing silently in the sidelines at the edge of the pitch. And I looked up and what a difference it made. You know, I suddenly played out of my skin. I scored maybe three goals, four goals, playing the best I'd ever played. And you see why, do you? I knew that I was safe. I didn't have to worry about these nasty boys. I didn't have to worry about being bullied. I could concentrate on the task at hand. I knew that my loving father was looking over me. And and if you follow the illustration, don't you, you see it? Like, don't you see what foreknowledge means? Christian friend, you have been chosen out of love by a almighty God. We don't need to be overly worried about suffering. We don't need to be worried about our status in society. Why not? Because we are safe. We're safe under the everlasting arms of a heavenly father who has always loved us and who always will love us and love us as his own. So we have been, praise God, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But then more briefly, do you notice the second phrase? We've also been elect, now do you see it? Elect in the sanctification of the Spirit, in the Spirit. Now here, <coughs> yeah, it's probably worth knowing, right, that there's uh, disagreement and scholarship about what exactly is in view. Think about the phrase. 
you know, elect in the sanctification of the Spirit. So what's in view? Is it, is it the initial work, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit? Is that it bringing dead bones to life? Or is it the more progressive work of the Spirit of God in our lives, which is it is in view? Do you know what I say? I sit and say that I think it's both. And I think Peter has got the fully orbed work of the Holy Spirit of God in view here. And, and if you're hearing that, don't you agree? It is so encouraging for us. I don't know what your life is like just now. I wonder if you're like me just now. Is this how you are sometimes with this COVID-19 stuff? Sometimes it's all right. Sometimes you're, if you're anything like me, we're, we're viewing it with spiritual sight, spiritual eyes, and we're able to cope sometimes, we're able to put the pandemic out of our minds for a little while. And then other times what happens, it creeps back in, doesn't it? And it begins to impact us, it begins to overwhelm us. Oh, consider what Peter's saying here. He's saying, yes, Christian friend, you have been loved from all eternity by a Heavenly Father. But how has this election come about? What is the means, the mechanism of this election? To think about it. Christian friends, you have had the very spirit of the eternal almighty God work in your life. And what has he done? This Holy Spirit. Yes, he has brought you to life. He has breathed spiritual life into your spiritual lungs. But what else? Think about it. Because you are elect of God, the Holy Spirit uses all that you experience and all that you encounter, and he uses it for your spiritual good. I mean, isn't that the most encouraging time? That even here, even in the midst of a deadly pandemic, we know that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, and he is at work just now using all of this using it to rid us evermore of our indwelling sin so we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father we are elect in sanctification of the Spirit and then the last of these surely you see it there do you that we are elect for obedience to Jesus Christ and you are not stupid well, I suppose it depends on who's tuning in right now, doesn't it? But if you belong to LCPC, I know you're not stupid. And so you know that if the word for is there, for obedience is a purpose clause, isn't it? What's it telling us? We've seen the origin of our election, the means of the election. We are being shown here the actual goal of election for obedience to Jesus Christ. Did, did you see it? Consider it. Think about it for a moment. Yes, through all of this. One day we are guaranteed that you and I as Christians shall stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be in that moment perfected in, ob- perfected in obedience by the work of God. But there's another side, isn't there? Much more challenging for us. What does this mean for obedience to Jesus Christ? That it means that even now you and I have been chosen to be obedient to the word of God, that even in the midst of COVID-19, even in the midst of a pandemic, you and I are called to pursue righteousness, to kill sin, to be obedient in the now to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a challenge? And then I end with a story. I was 
in my study, I'm just flicking through a little notebook that I've got. It's the sort of thing that probably most ministers have got. It's a little notebook with sermon ideas for future weeks and months and so forth. I was flicking through it and I made a shocking discovery. I realised that I'd almost forgotten that it's Easter next weekend. Couldn't believe it. In the midst of all these worries and concerns we have about this pandemic, the fact that it's Good Friday in a few days had almost passed me by. It had been out of my mind for a few days. And so is it not incredibly fitting, Christian friend, to see how Peter ends this verse Do you see what he does? He uses that imagery of Exodus 24 that we read earlier on. What does he say of Christians? That we have been elect to be what? For the, to be sprinkled, it says, sprinkling with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the cross. He has Christ's work of atonement in view, doesn't he? And if you are sitting in your home and you went back in the last few days and it's been a time of great worry and great concern for you, Isn't that they are just the greatest thing to consider because Peter's reminding us, yes, we have been chosen by the Father, chosen in the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. What's Peter showing you there? He is reminding you, Christian friend, that you have been chosen to be forgiven entirely for your sin. Isn't that it? That Peter's reminding us that that through the work of that cross at Calvary through the the triune work of God that as we sit here whatever we are whoever we are if we are born again right now we know by Christ we are redeemed right now we are cleansed right now as you sit there Christian friend you have been chosen that through the cross right now you are forgiven given in the sight of God and so no wonder it is that Peter aims this greeting praying that these Christians in Asia Minor would receive more grace and more peace he knows that God is gracious to those who are his but I'm saying this to you may it be Christian friend sharing the same status as they do may it be that we do not waste our time of quarantine, may we right now prepare for what is ahead. May we prepare to go out into this world with the good news or the gospel on our lips. Let's prepare as we truly are. What are we? Are we exiles? Yes, we're exiles. But you and I, Christian friend, we are the elect exiles of our God. Friends, let's Bow together and let's pray. Gracious Father, we do praise you for your word. We thank you so much for these verses. We thank you for what they say. We thank you for this letter that so speaks of words of comfort and equipping to the saints in trouble. We thank you most of all that the blood of Christ has been spilt for us, that it secures for us eternally forgiveness in your sight. May you, O God, be praised. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, for his name's sake. Amen.